so good to see all of you here this morning. Um, some of you cleaned up pretty good. <laughs> some of you, I, I think it's the first time that you shaved since COVID. So took a shower, got out. You're like, all right, we're doing it. We're going out into public. Now, it's so good to have you here this morning. I, uh, it's kind of an awesome thought to think that uh, all over our city, um, all over our county and country, and then across the world right now, some of them being, some, some Jesus followers being able to worship him publicly, and then others having to worship him underground, but all across the globe, people are celebrating the risen Savior. I said it uh, just a couple of minutes ago, but the, the difference between this quote unquote religion and other religions is the fact that God made an incredible claim through Jesus that no one else had made. I think, I, I believe that right now, even in America and, and with other people, it's okay and it's actually popular to be spiritual. And it's okay to actually say Jesus and talk about Jesus, but it's not as popular to believe in him and make the claim that he's the only way to God. I think in our culture, we want to believe that there's many ways to God, but Jesus made the claim that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, no person comes to the Father except through me, except through me. And so as we celebrate uh, this Easter, as we look at it through that lens, I, I do want to talk about the, this being Easter Sunday, how awesome it is and how incredible it is that we serve a risen Savior. And when you think about that, whole holy week, right? The Palm Sunday leading up to his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And then just several days later, we see the rulers and the high priests and, and the, 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 the people that were ruling at that time were upset at Jesus because he was making claims religiously. And then also, I guess you could say politically making claims that they were, made them a little bit nervous, made them a little bit nervous. And so quickly a triumphant Entry into Jerusalem turned into the death of Jesus. At death of Jesus, though, three days later, no man has ever been able to do this before. Other people have been raised from the dead by the followers of Jesus and by Jesus himself, but no one has ever been able to raise themselves from the dead. And not only is it a historical fact, it is a spiritual fact that Jesus reigns and because of that risen savior and because he is no longer in the tomb, we have a bridge built from our sin to a relationship with Jesus. And here's what's awesome about it. It is offered to anyone, anyone. But when you look at Jesus's life and you go, okay, I wanna be like Jesus. You ever have your parents say you need to be more like Jesus, right? Or someone tell you, you need to be more like Jesus. The hard part about that is that bar is just so high, right? And when we look at Jesus, we're like, oh man, I want to be like Jesus. I want to try to be like him. I like, and what we're going to go through is a story today that runs parallel with Easter Sunday and with the resurrection and with the death of Christ from, if you've gone to church any amount of time, a pretty familiar character. He's actually my favorite character in the whole Bible. And his name is Peter. And the reason why I like Peter is because Peter was a moron. 
<laughs> just sometimes you're like, what is wrong with Peter? And the reason why I like Peter is because he reminds me a lot of myself. We have a saying at Hamilton Hills, we say, life is messy, everyone is welcome, and anything is possible. So if you're here for the very first time today and you're like, do I belong at Hamilton Hills? If you are messy, then that's the first criteria for you belonging in this family. We're all a mess here. This is the beautiful, messy, but also beautiful, but also really messy thing called church. We're all a family. Sometimes we don't get along. Sometimes we get upset at each other. I had someone in the last service who said, someone sat in my row. And I said, get over it. We're all humans. We're all people. If we rewind before the resurrection, we see two very important people that were very, very close followers of Jesus. One, Peter, we just mentioned. The other one, whose name was Judas. You remember old Judas? Even if you don't go to church that much, you've heard of Judas. Judas is the bad guy, right? Oh man, old Judas. Betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. When we see Judas later in the story, he actually is so overcome by his shame that he goes out and he hangs himself. So done in by his own actions, he ends his life. In fact, when we see Jesus, he predicts that someone is going to betray him. And when he predicts that someone's gonna betray him, who's the one that quickly says, not me. Ain't gonna be me, Jesus. When it comes to the best, I'm the best of the best. And it's Peter. He's the one that makes this egregious claim and says, oh, ain't gonna be me. Have you ever had kids? Or been a kid? And heard a kid say, oh, I would never do that. Have you ever said, I will never do that? And then it doesn't take very long if you're a human being to all of a sudden you go, I did it. I can't believe it. The one thing I said I wouldn't do, I did. And so we give Peter sometimes a hard time because he said he'd never betray Christ. And then we find out just shortly after that, Peter is sitting around a fire pit. Jesus has been taken away. He's now being tried by the rulers and the elders and the Sanhedrin. And even though Jesus had told Peter just a few weeks before that he was going to die and he was going to be taken and he was going to raise again, Peter finds himself depleted. And he goes, what's it worth? What's this for? He's sitting around a fire pit and not a ruler, not an intimidating character, but no, a seventh grade schoolgirl comes up to Peter while he's around the fire pit and says, hey, ain't you, oh, I don't know why I did a Southern accent. <laughs> says, ain't you one of those Jesus people? And Peter goes, not me. And she goes, no, 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 you look really familiar. You've been following that Jesus guy around. Isn't he like your rabbi or like your teacher? And he, no, not me at all. And then she's a little persistent, as seventh grade girls are. <laughs> My daughter's in sixth. I'm warning her. She says it one more time, and Peter then lets out a string of curse words. I'm not blankety blank. If we weren't in the auditorium, I'd have told you what words they were, but... 
and he denies Jesus and all of a sudden, just like predicted, the rooster crows and it takes him back to what Jesus said and in his shame, he goes, I did it. The one thing I said I wouldn't do and that Judas guy, I looked at him and went, what a dirty guy, that guy, I'll never be him. And then Peter does it not just once, but three times. The difference between Peter and Judas is Judas let his shame destroy him. Peter, as we'll see later on in this story, Peter actually believes deep down that Jesus does still love him. And as hard as it was for him to come back from his shame, he actually, as we'll see in the story, gets redeemed. After Jesus dies, his raises from the dead. And you know the story, the two Marys run to the tomb and they see that he's not there. So they just run back and they're like, I don't know what happened. He's not there. Then some disciples follow. They go in. They don't go into the tomb, right? They just kind of step up first, the first disciple and kind of looks in. He's like, it is empty. And then what does Peter do? This is why I love Peter. Peter just walks right into the tomb, right? He walks in, he's looking around. He's like, no, he, he really isn't there. This is unbelievable. And you would think that Peter would rejoice in that fact, but I, Peter in that moment starts feeling the shame of what he had done and then realized Jesus is around somewhere. I kind of hope I don't run into him. <laughs> if you look in John chapter 21 in one of the very first verses, they start talking about how Peter then walks away and they ask him where he's going. He says, I'm going fishing. Where was Peter when Jesus first found him? He was fishing. And when Jesus first called Peter to a higher purpose and a greater thing, he called him away from what Peter was trying to put in his life to fulfill him and to sustain him and called him into something greater. Can I tell you here in here this morning Every single one of you, whether you're following Jesus or not, he calls to you and he says, let me call you to a greater purpose. The problem was when Peter felt this shame, what did he do? He walked back into the thing that he tried to have fulfill him before. He says, I'm going fishing. And then we look at verse number four at dawn. Jesus just happens to be walking by the very beach that not just Peter, but the other six disciples that followed Peter. And he's standing on the beach. But what does it say? The disciples couldn't see who he was. So he called out and he says this. He says, fellows, are you catching any fish? Now, I don't know if you have anybody in here that's, that, that fishes or you're a fisherman or you like to fish as a hobby. I love to fish. My favorite is surf fishing, but I also like, you know, freshwater fishing. The worst thing that I, that can happen when you're fishing is someone walk by and say, hey, are you catching anything? As a man, when I have to answer no, I just feel like a loser. Like I've been in, like, how long have you been here? Four hours. You haven't caught anything? Oh, okay. <laughs> I really feel like Jesus, as he walks up to Peter and the disciples and on the beach and he sees them out fishing. He says, how is you trying to fulfill your life working out for you? Have you caught anything? 
Have you caught anything? And what do they answer? Very simply, no. No, they replied, we haven't caught a thing. We haven't caught a thing. Why? Because apart from Jesus, we can't be fulfilled. We see in the next couple of verses, something cool happened, right? Then in verse six, he says, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. Second worst thing when you're fishing is someone that doesn't and isn't fishing with you tells you what you're doing wrong and how you should do it, right? But the disciples are like, what have we got to lose? So they throw their nets on the other side and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. It's not important how many fish were in the net. What was important was Jesus was showing Peter and the disciples that apart from him, you cannot be fulfilled. Then verse seven, the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter. Now I'm gonna stop right here for a second because it's important to know that John was known as the disciple whom Jesus loved. That was kind of one of the things that they would talk about John. Oh, he's the one that Jesus really loves. They were very close relationally. And the writer of this account is John. And I love this, what John does here. He just goes, the disciple Jesus loved, me, said to Peter, the guy that betrayed him three times, it's the Lord. So up until this point, no one knew or could tell that it was Jesus. Sometimes I feel like Jesus is speaking to us, but because we're so filled with our other passions and what we're trying to fulfill our lives with, we cannot hear or recognize Jesus is speaking. Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord. And so what does he do? <laughs> now, I'm gonna go back to Peter being a moron for a second. Okay, you ready? But this is why I like Peter, because I'm this guy. He then puts on his tunic, for he had stripped for work. He was naked. Jumped into the water and headed to shore. Now, can you picture this for just a second? Peter, in all this disarray, he goes, oh, it's, it's, the, it's my rabbi. It's my teacher. It's, it's the Lord. What do I do? Oh, I'm naked. Oh, okay. He puts on some clothes real quick, and he goes, uh, and then he jumps into the water after he put his clothes on, right? I'm gonna put some clothes on, I gotta get there. Not take the boat into shore. He jumps into the water in his clothes, right? And, and then what does he do? For they were only about 100 yards from shore. When they got there, meaning the other disciples, they found breakfast waiting for them. First, I, kinda, I just kinda picture, and don't ruin this if this didn't actually happen for me, but I kinda picture the disciples rowing the boat in as Peter is swimming. <laughs> Don't you? Going. Oh, Peter. When they got there, they found judgment waiting for them. Punishment, lightning bolts. God was so angry, Jesus was so, no. When they got there, even though they had walked away, even though this is the first interaction between Peter after his three times betrayal, they find breakfast waiting for them. Fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Where did we find Peter as he betrayed Jesus? 
He was sitting around a fire. (laughs) You ever hear the first three chords of that song when you were in high school? Come on the radio. Do we even have radio anymore? On your Apple or Amazon Music? (laughs) On that Pandora station? And all it takes, right? The first three chords. Not only do you know every word, but it takes you back. I would imagine that during this time, in between Peter's betrayal and his redemption, every time he walked by a fire, every time he smelled fire, every time he saw charcoal, it reminded him of the shame that he had caused himself and the fire where he did the lowest of low. And then Jesus, like only Jesus can do, calls him again around a fire. And instead of reminding him of his betrayal, eats breakfast with him. He not only redeemed his purpose that we'll find out later, he redeemed his surroundings. For some of you, the last time that you stepped foot in a church, you stepped out because you were hurt. Could have been something that you did. It could have been something that someone did to you. And every time that you hear church, see church, hear church mentioned, it brings you back to pain and it brings you back to shame and it brings you back to guilt. The Jesus I serve, the Jesus that rose from the dead didn't just give us the power for salvation and an eternity and a relationship with Jesus, but he also wants to redeem what you think is wasted and what you think is shame and what you think is ashes for his glory. The very thing that you thought would always remind you of how terrible a person you are, Jesus wants to use that to then remind you and redeem you. Matthew 16, 18, Matthew's account of Jesus's life, he writes this. Jesus was speaking to Peter and he says, now I say to you that our Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers will not conquer it. What Jesus was telling Peter in this moment is something extremely interesting and very, very important to this story. Jesus was telling Peter, I am going to use you to build the tool that for thousands of years will then become the way that people will come to Christ. Can you imagine what a purpose? See, before this, the church had not existed. There was no Hamilton Hills. There was no church building. People did not meet the same way that we meet. There was a temple, but not like we experience church. And he tells Peter, by the way, before he betrays him, I am going to use you to do something great. What we find is after the betrayal of Jesus and after he redeems Peter here in this moment, We see 
Peter actually be used to do the purpose that he was called to do. The whole book of Acts is written where the church started growing. And here's what's really cool. He started the first church in Jerusalem. It was called Hamilton Hills, Jerusalem. It's the very first church. In this church, it grew in just several years to over 100,000 strong. God used Peter. I believe God would have used Judas. We give Judas a bad rap, don't we? Ah, Judas, the betrayer. Peter did it three times. The difference between Peter and Judas is that Judas did not believe that Jesus would redeem him. I believe there are people in here this morning that in your mind and in your heart right now, you do not believe Jesus will redeem you. You don't believe that you have a purpose on your life. For years, you've listened to the lies of the enemy that has spoken into you and said, all the things you've done and the things you are are who you are and what you will become and who you will be for the rest of time. And God cannot use you. This is the marriage you ruined, the temptation that you still haven't gotten over, the sin that you committed in college, the person you became, the people you hurt, or the people that hurt you made you into someone that Jesus cannot redeem. And I'll ask you a simple question this morning. Who told you that? Who said that? Who told you you couldn't be redeemed? Who? Was it another human being? Was it the voice inside your head? Was it your surroundings? Was it your neighbor? Was it your coworker? Who told you that God can't use you? Because I find in God's word, not one story, not two, not three, but hundreds of stories of people who could not be used apart for the fact that Jesus redeemed them. And so I say to you this morning, God has a purpose on your life and God wants to use you and he doesn't want to just redeem you personally, but he wants to redeem your view of the church. He wants to redeem your view of him. He goes on to build a church 100,000 strong and we actually see several years later that even though Israel is under Roman rule, This church grows and prospers under persecution, under people trying to make the church stop. And so the words come true in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, where he says, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Can I tell you this morning, the powers of hell could not conquer Jesus. They could not keep him in the grave. He rose from the dead and there was nothing, no person, no amount of any devil or demon that could stop Jesus from being all powerful. And he gave that tool also to the church and the powers of hell, COVID, nothing, temptation, sickness, disease, sin itself cannot stop the church because the power of God is in it. And here's what makes the church. You ready? You, you make up the church. It's not the building. It's the people. 
And God calls the sick. He calls the sinful. He calls you this morning to be used by him. In Isaiah 61 verse 3, he writes this, to all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. This is the nature of God. I don't know what you've been told in your life. I don't know what a parent told you. I don't know what a church leader told you, but can I tell you this morning that the most sinful person in here today has a purpose on their life that God wants to use. It simply takes stepping out of the darkness into the light. We have a saying here that uh, life is messy, everyone is welcome, and anything is possible. It's not just a cute little mantra that we say here at Hamilton Hills. We truly believe these words, that life is messy. If you're wondering if you belong at Hamilton Hills, the first thing that you need to check off on your resume as you turn it in, is there any mess in your life? Yeah, I got a little mess. You qualify. Welcome to the family. We believe that everyone is welcome. The furthest from God, the closest to God. Families don't stop loving each other because one walks away. I'm afraid that many of you in here have been hurt by the church because the further you walked away, Christians just seem to be the ones that shoot their wounded the most. And not here. Here you're welcome because we're all in the same boat together. Anything is possible. I'm going to show you a video this morning of a man in our church and his wife who were at a lowest of low and truly lived into life is messy, but anything is possible. Hey, church family. I'm here with my good friends, Jonathan and Katie Norton. We've known each other for a couple years. In fact, we just yeah. talked about that recently. We were like, I think it's been like one or two years. It's been yes. almost two and a half, right? Yeah. Yep. Two and a half years. And Jonathan and I talked about um, talking about his story mm. and doing a kind of like a testimonial of beauty from ashes. And I love your story, Jonathan. It's always encouraged me and you've always used it to encourage others. So let's, uh, let's kind of just start from the very beginning, about a 20 year period, right? And right, uh, yeah. yeah, tell us about some of that dark times. Absolutely. So uh, battled addiction and uh, to alcohol and drugs for about 20 years. Uh, really, really nasty, horrible uh, family destroying addiction. My faith's always been important to me um, and had a relationship with Jesus, but I kept going back to the, to the drug into alcohol. You know, they say it's one day at a time and, and, they, and they talk about bottoms and, you know, different, um, you know, AA programs or um, addiction programs, but, and, and, and it depends on your bottom. You can go, like, you can go, your bottom can keep getting lower. And I had several really 
low, 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 uh, low bottoms. Um, I think it was the my last relapse, which was several years ago, um, where Katie, Katie came home, and uh, she she found me um, just passed out, uh, not responsive, with just vomit everywhere um, on her bed. And this was our. It was our um, son's third birthday. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that was my last uh, last relapse. By God's grace, I've been I've been sober ever since. And uh, yeah, and then prior to that, when our eldest was a newborn, um, before I relapsed, you know, Katie was walking out the door. She was she was she was done with it. Katie, talk, tell us a little bit about you know, you know, you're walking alongside. Jonathan in this, and so you're having also low moments. Mm -hmm. How was that? Kind of describe that to us. Yeah, I think it was definitely a roller coaster. Um, you know, like some weeks would be great, and then some weeks would be horrible. Um, and our oldest was just a baby, so just trying to navigate that, and then um, me trying to control, you know, what's mm -hmm. going on with him um, didn't help at all. Um, yeah, I just remember um, just that, you know, an incident would happen and um, I'd pack up and just go to my mom's for the weekend or um, I'd go for a drive and I would, I remember like just crying out um, or going in the bathroom and getting on my knees and um, just praying and begging God to just, I, you know, I don't want to do it. I don't want to, why is this happening to me? There's also a a part of this story, Jonathan, that you've shared with me. And do you mind talking a little bit about how, man, that was a hard thing for you to overcome because the church is supposed to be a place where we can be able to have those conversations. Doubt can exist and and, and we can walk through mess to, together. Yeah. Uh, so we were we were attending another church and uh, pretty active in that, in that church. And actually it was really helpful in getting me sober. One of the one of the times before the relapse. It's really helpful in our marriage. Yeah. It looked like we, you know, things were working out, things were re getting restored. Shortly after I had, you know, had been sober for a good amount of time, uh, I relapsed again and I shared, I shared that information with a small group that we were attending and, um, and, and uh, the pastor of that church uh, uh, removed, us, removed Katie and I from the small group and uh, which was unfortunate because Katie needed that support more than ever. And we had a newborn at home and she was very alone and didn't have that support and being kicked out of the small group was unfortunate. And then eventually we were kicked out of the, out of the church, asked to leave, uh, which, you know, um, was, which was disheartening and kind of, kind of makes us tempted to, to resent, you know, if we had to fight that resentment because we love, I, we, I still, I love them. I need to not resent them, you know? Yeah. No, that's good. I, I love that you're even saying it. Now you're showing the forgiveness on the other side of, uh, uh, of the other side of the equation. Um, I, I know, church, I want to speak to you guys just for a second and say, at Hamilton Hills, we say life is messy. Uh, life will always be messy this side of eternity. And so as we walk through life together, um, you know, obviously we would never want anything bad to happen. We don't welcome mess in our lives like we want to have mess. But when it happens, we... That's what relationships are for, and that's what the church is for. We're supposed to, we're supposed to be a church that's not a uh, museum for saints, but a, uh, a hospital for sinners. But what's incredible about the love of Jesus, right, is that 
you know, Paul said this, where sin abounds or where mess abounds, grace much more abounds. Mm -hmm. And so looking at what God has done in a redemptive way in your life, even yeah. already, um, tell us a little bit now about, hey, we've worked through that and, and God's grace and, uh, being a part of your life. So John, can you tell us a little bit about where you kind of started finding freedom and, and, and chains breaking? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's the best, that's the better part. Yeah, right? I'm ready to go with this. Uh, so, you know, anytime we're, we're in worship and, and we hear a song that, and we're singing the lyrics about, um, you know, chains breaking and, 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 and Jesus doing that, where we're free, we're set free because he's broken those chains. Like, I, I just, it just, it hits me the most because I was, I was under that bondage, you know? And I, I, I can tell you right now that it's because of God's grace, he set me free. And I have that freedom today because of that. Uh, there's a verse that sits on my desk that's written in my grandmother's handwriting. She's very important to me. And she knows that I keep going back to, and it's Isaiah. And it says, it says, do not be afraid for I'm with you. Do not be discouraged for I'm your God. Then I'll give you the strength. I'll give you, surely I'll give you the strength. And, and he has, and I, I rely on that so much. <laughs> yeah. When I think about what God has done in your life, I also then look at the, the redemption too, Katie, that that's brought you and how sticking through some hard times. Mm -hmm. um, now God's working in your family's life yeah. in an incredible way. Can you talk about a little bit of what God's doing in your life? Um, yeah, I think there was a lot of trust broken and um, during all that. And so that took a while to kind of get back. And I remember in those moments, you know, crying out or praying that, you know, I'd be at the moment, I'd be like, okay, I think I'm done. I don't think I can do this anymore. And then I would wake up the next morning with just this peace over me. And everything that I felt the day before was kind of gone. And I knew that only God could be doing that in my heart because my heart was in a really bad place the night before, the day before. Um, but he did it. Yeah, it was all him. And just seeing him restore our relationship. Mm. Um, and then just being able to tell my kids like what he's you know gone through and what he's fought and how much he's relied we've relied on God through it all, I think is a really powerful yeah. story for them. Like it was hopeless for Katie and I, and, we, and we've experienced like God's faithfulness. Um, Katie and I have been active here at Hamilton Hills um, with, with serving. Um, I've been active at, a, at another church still uh, serving some high school boys who I've been with since they were freshmen, they're seniors this year, they're graduating, so then, you know, um, but uh, really, really pour, trying to pour into their lives. And uh, Katie and I are, are probably the most, uh, I don't know, uh, you, you mentioned satisfied when we're serving. Most healthy, yeah. Most healthy when we're serving others. Um, and that's that's key to, to my sobriety too, is serving others. That's, that's really important for my walk and everything else. Uh, I would say, you know, talking about relying on, on, uh, on I got it. Just knowing, knowing he provides, like he's been providing, he's, he's protected my job all the way through. I got through, uh, you know, grad school. I got through my job, even despite this, the stuff that I, my sin that I put myself in, all the sin, you know, and uh, and he just, I mean, I'm telling you what, it, it just after I got sober from the drugs and alcohol, and just it, it just my life has soared. Like our lives have soared. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, our relationship is, is greater than ever. I love her more today than I did the day after marry me. You know, <laughs> she stuck by me and that, that trust was so hard to build. I'm telling you what, that trust uh, was like losing her trust. Man, it, it was a slow, 
like it was hopeless. Uh, but man, it's such a, it's a glorious thing to have her trust back. And Jonathan, Katie, thank you for sharing your time. Thank you for sharing that story. I know it's powerful, but it's also hard to get through. Um, I uh, love you guys dearly and I'm, I'm glad you're here. Here's, uh, here's the temptation, you ready? Temptation is this, take a story like that and you go, well, that doesn't exactly mirror me. But the, the truth of the matter is, is we all have something that is holding us in bondage or uh, can hold us in bondage. And if I were to ask all of us in here this morning with maybe the exception of a couple people, if I were to say, hey, Jesus died on the cross, why did he do that? We would immediately say to pay for our sins, right? We go, I know the answer to that, check mark, to pay for our sins. And that is true. That is true. Jesus died on the cross for you to pay for your sin. It, there was a transaction that took place on the cross where he took our sin and replaced his righteousness onto us and took our sin for us. And without that, there is no possibility for a relationship with Jesus. But here's what happened in that moment. If you could picture on stage here, a prison cell. It's like we're in this prison cell and we need Jesus and we say, Jesus, we need you. And so what Jesus does is he dies on the cross, he pays for our sin and unlocks the prison door and it opens. And the transaction to go free is there. But what we do is we say thank you and then we sit in the prison cell with the door open. Why are we comfortable with our shame? It's because we all we know. Why do we run back to the thing that fulfills us? Why did Peter run back to fishing? Was there even anything wrong with fishing? No, but it's all he knew. And his shame brought him back into this prison cell, keeping him from this purpose of going on to starting the church in Jerusalem and 100,000 people coming to Christ, the church being built, the movement that God promised and prophesied thousands of years before would happen. Peter's sitting there in the cell of his own shame around the fire pit and Jesus calls him out and says, step out. Step out of darkness. Step out of your bondage. Step into the light. So today, if this is the, one of the two times that you come to church every year, can I tell you, don't feel shame to the person in here this morning that is saying, I can't be used. You don't know my story. Can I tell you that God wants to use those ashes and create something beautiful. So to the one who feels like the walls are caving in. The one who looks even now to this very roof of this church to cave in, you thought it would this morning. The rebuilder, our God, our risen savior says to you, let the ruins of your walls and the rubble of the ceiling be rebuilt for his glory. To the single mom drowning in the shame that someone else poured on you. To the young man who is smashed every day by the waves created by your own flailing arms. 
the reviver and the king of glory says to you, trade that flood that suffocates for the breath of life. To the most wretched sinner in here this morning, watching online, lost in your forest of regret, and to the lonely who stowed yourself away and hiding away in a cabin built by your own anxiety and your own fear, the remaker says, let my son shine his glory through the canopy of your deepest fear and regret. And so this morning, to the desperate father, the depressed mother, the broken man and the barren woman, the addicted train wreck and the anorexic teenager, to the tempted son, the troubled sinner, and the most needing of grace, and the very Judas who sits in this room this morning himself, I tell you this, your Redeemer says to you, let me take your doubt. Let me take your doubt. Let me take your discouragement, your desolation, your desperation, your deepest, darkest, damning degradation. And let me take what you thought what was and whisper in your ear what will be. What you thought was the end was only the beginning. And what you thought would be unending will end up only being pending in the name of Jesus. I'm gonna ask you this morning to watch. Watch him take, watch him make all things new. Rebuild the broken, remake the mistake, and recreate the cremated, and refine the unfinished, and retake the taken. And take your very ashes, the one that you made your very self, or the ones that you were handed. And watch our risen Savior take all of your mourning, all the crying, and all the shame, and trade it for hope, trade your hate for love weakness for his strength and the war inside your heart and mind that you cannot win and give you the peace that passes all understanding. Watch him take your ashes and give you a crown of beauty. All of us have it. All of us have shame. All of us have something we're holding on to that's keeping us in bondage in that prison cell that Judas decided he could never get out of even though the doors had been unlocked and the door flung open. Don't listen to the voice that says you cannot be used, but instead listen to the voice of your risen Savior on this Easter morning that says, I want to take what you thought was ash and make it built into something beautiful. Would you stand with me? With every head bowed and every eye closed, we're just going to take a couple of moments. I don't know what it is for you. There's many of you in here this morning, you have a story just like Jonathan. And you think that story is going to keep you from your purpose. And the call to you today is to step out of the darkness and into the light. For some of you in here, you may not have a story like Jonathan but there's something you're holding on to. It could be a temptation. It could be a sin. It could be regret. 
It could be shame from something that you think is big or others think is small or vice versa, but we all have something in here this morning that keeps us because it's whispered into our ear by the enemy. When you say, I can't be used, I want you to ask yourself right now with your eyes closed and your head bowed, who told you that? Who told you that? Who told you you couldn't be used? Was it yourself? Was it someone else? Was it a church leader? Was it a relative? The answer to that question may be true or could be someone else, but I can tell you who it wasn't. It wasn't God. God did not tell you that. With a show of hands, would you say, Pastor Matt, I, would you pray for me? There's something in my life. It, it could be big, could be small, could be shame, could be sin, could be regret. But there's something in my life that oftentimes or isn't even right now holding me back from thinking that I can be used by God. Would you pray for me? Would you just slip your hand up with heads bowed and eyes closed? Yeah, I see those hands all over the room all over the room. We're Peter, guys. We're Peter, aren't we? Let's pray. Father, as we close this morning, God, we thank you for your son and we thank you for what he did on the cross and we thank you for the payment for sin. But today, God, we are asking you to break chains. We're asking you to deliver us, not just by opening the door, but by leading us out of the prison cell of our regret and our shame from the hurt that we've received or even the hurt that we've caused. And we ask you this, would you be our king? And will we follow you? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys.